0: welcome to another episode of 30 minutes with com. our guest today is sonia mcmanus owner of sonia therese design sonia's fashion career started abruptly following the aftermath of the christchurch earthquake in 2011 when she lost her previous engineering business and was looking for a new path in life. Having always been passionate about beauty, Sonia decided to dabble into the world of jewelry designing in 2017. Completely self-taught, she started her line by only using recyclable items, and in 2020 received an invitation to be a part of the New York Fashion Week. Later this year, Sonia expected to showcase her line again, in person at the new york fashion week and for the first time at the paris fashion week as an indigenous designer sonia strongly believes in the importance of finding meaning and intent in every item that she creates with each piece telling a story and having a connection to the past and the future so today we're going to speak to sonia on what methods she took to teach herself jewelry designing and how she marketed her business from the get-go. Hello, Sonia, thanks for joining us today. How are you? Uh,
1: kia ora, I'm very, very well. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. Um. So we'll
0: dive right into the question. So thank you for speaking to us from beautiful Christchurch. So, um, what business, um, you were
1: running before you started your jewelry business? Um, immediately prior to the Christchurch earthquakes in 2011, I was um, running a small consultancy, uh, here in Ototahi Christchurch. Um, my background is in engineering geology and specialising in risk and resilience, so that was that was what I was doing that business went under and following that experience with the Christchurch Earthquakes, I chose to get a, a job, I got a um, an account management job within the retail sector and that was what I was doing as I transitioned and decided to become a jeweller.
0: Okay, great, so that was in 2011 and mm. your business Sonia Therese Design started in 2017 so um, in the in in between that right how did you decide on doing jewelry
1: like why jewelry
0: I think I've always been
1: passionate about the stories that can be told with jewelry um it was never it was not a conscious decision to become a jeweler to begin with I was in a, in a job and in an environment here in Christchurch it was quite a crazy time to be um, living in Christchurch we had massive damage from the Christchurch quakes we were still under under experiencing a lot of a lot of earthquake um, it was very stressful place and my out was creativity and the job that I that I was doing had almost no creative outlet and it became completely untenable for me so I started making jewellery as an outlet for myself actually for my own mental and and emotional health and I think jewellery for me became um jewellery for me became uh (laughs) and a way to see the beauty in the world our environment here was incredibly broken and it was it was my way of of being beauty and remembering that there was beauty in the world and expressing that okay that's very beautiful so take us back to 2011
0: 2012 you know what did the what was the first thing you do you did to actually teach yourself designing did you go online uh join a class? yeah yeah
1: yeah i did actually i was um i didn't take any classes i um i think my engineering brain told me that i could probably do this for myself so i i had some materials and i had some design ideas and i i literally just taught myself if there were things that i didn't know how to do i would google them i would jump on youtube I would find out how other people made certain things. Um, and so I did a lot of, I did a lot of research, I guess. I, I wasn't, um, I wasn't conscious of trying to learn a specific skill. It was more that I had an idea and a design in mind and I needed to know how to bring that to being. And so I was looking for whatever ways I could to bring that to being. And back in the, in the beginning of it, I didn't have the materials and I didn't have the the tools, the specialist tools that I do today so I made a lot of mistakes (laughs) I made a lot of mistakes but YouTube was awesome I um I I I spent quite a lot of time online teaching myself and then applying what I learned in practice out in my garage just playing and pottering and um yeah like I say making an a lot of mistakes. Alright, so how long did it take you for you to master the art of jewellery on your own? Gosh, I don't know that I've actually mastered anything, if I'm really honest with you. I think I've become quite adept and quite proficient. Um, I guess if I if I was to say, for example, soldering silver and gold, let's take that as a great example, um, that would have taken me, gosh, years. Three years? Three years to, to really get confident with being able to, to do that. Um, so I, I I would definitely put it in the years and I'm still learning every single day. Every day I go out to the studio, I am trying to extend myself. So it, they say 10,000 hours, I think, is is the the, the common thought process. It takes 10,000 hours of practice to become um, proficient at anything. Um, I'd, I'd put my hand up and say it's at least 10,000 hours. Yeah. So what's that? Five years.
0: <laughs> so the first few years when you were going, right, and uh, you were making all those mistakes, you didn't give up up you still went ahead like
1: what did you tell yourself I'm probably quite a stubborn person um I'm I have a philosophy that you know what if what if the the thing that you're really looking for is it happens tomorrow and so why would you give up today what if you just kept going one more day and and had a go I I had a very clear um, vision in my head of what I wanted to make so from a, an individual piece perspective I, I know what I want to make and so I'll persevere until I get something or it or it evolves into something even more beautiful so I guess it's just probably stubbornness and perseverance what do I tell myself um I used to tell myself, I used to tell myself, oh my goodness, you can't be that silly. You've got to be able to work this out. Come on, you've got a good brain on you and you know how to do this, you can do this. Um, Now I'm probably a lot more uh, allowing of that process, the creative process, which um, by definition means that you need to be making mistakes. That's where the best designs and the best ideas come from is that that making mistakes, part of it.
0: So you were working and you were a mother and you were doing in the size so how many hours did you spend a week you
1: think you remember um, on the jewellery Gosh, yes. um, every moment that I could. So I didn't really sleep back then. And, and thinking back on it, you know, our city was still being rocked by earthquakes. So nobody slept very much back then. Um We had about five years post-quake up until about 2015, I think, 20, 2015, 2016, where we were still getting significant aftershocks from our earthquakes. So I would have spent, I probably, it was probably a full-time job, if I'm really honest with you. I Um I, I would have at least put 40 hours a week into it, easily 40 hours a week into it. But it was a passion. Of, it is a passion.
0: On top of your actual full-time job. Yeah, right. on top
1: of that. And and I'm a single mum as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was it was a, it was a busy time.
0: <laughs> it was a busy time. Great. It paid off. So, do you remember when you got your first customer and what did they buy from you?
1: Yes, I do, actually. I do remember my very first customer. My first customer online, when I launched my website and I finally got the courage to put my products out there, my first customer was a woman from New York City and I used to back then in the day I used to sell I used to make um leather cuff bracelets from old recycled uh, recycled leather belts and I put them up online and this beautiful woman she was a Kiwi but she was living in New York and she worked for the Metropolitan Opera in New York and she'd found me online and she, she bought one of my bracelets and we had a great conversation about it. She actually contacted me and told me where she was and who she was. Um, I remember that very clearly. I was, so oh, excited, did a happy dance.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and she bought that. What year was that? Um, that would have been 20, 2015. 2015. And, um, I'm just going to ask you, you still remember how much you priced the item for? I think it was $40. <laughs> it was $40. Awesome. So, um, by then, you were already make um turning your business into a side hustle,
1: right? Absolutely, yep, sure. And was. then,
0: and you made a website and you put your items there. And how did you market it? Like, how did you start marketing it?
1: I started with a Facebook page right from the get go. Um, I started with friends and family. I think I was quite lucky in the respect that I still had a part, I I had moved my, my, my full-time job to a part-time job to make room for making the jewellery. So I still had, had a lot of work colleagues, um, through, through that avenue. Facebook became absolutely integral to the marketing of it. Um I, I I remember very clearly making the decision to have a Facebook page for my business. Um and that became my way of reaching out to an international audience that I couldn't do personally. Um and then the other way that I, I did it was was physically. Like I, I was physically attending markets. I'd apply to, to local craft and, and arts markets here in Christchurch and outside of Christchurch as well. And so I would physically turn up with my product to these events and it didn't matter how big or small it was I was I was giving it a go I was I was applying everywhere I could um I was I think even back then I was aware that I was the brand so the jewelry is what I make but people connect with me and so it was important even though I'm a very shy person and I don't really like the limelight that much at all I was still very conscious that um I needed to be the face of my brand because people there's so much jewelry out there there's there's a there's a ton of it um what would make somebody choose my pieces over somebody else's and the only thing that I've got going for me as me so oh, it was yes. about it was about marketing me as much as jewelry
0: that's good actually it's a very good uh, way to explain so did you start buying digital mark did you buy ads on Facebook or was it all organic it's
1: all organic I have not done I think maybe back in the day I might have done a couple of paid boosts back when Facebook paid or you know post boosts were, were a thing um, I think I did a few of those around Christmas one year um, they didn't pay off so up until now I still don't do paid advertising on social media um, it's all organic
0: That's good um, so what was the turning point for your business like when it started to take off and you decided to quit your part-time job and go full time
1: I had started making I'd started making rings actually um, they were they were difficult for me to make they were difficult I, it was something I, I was very uncertain of and I remember having one week where I got three orders in, in one day and it was like, the It was that classic epiphany moment where you go imagine if I put all of my time into this then into the jewelry I could actually have a full-time gig here this isn't a side hustle anymore and it was it was literally it was literally that decision it was it was going oh my gosh I could do this I really really could do this and I never really looked back so that when I decided to do that I and I and I quit the quit the job and went full-time in the jewelry um i made sales. Sales would come in and I think it's very much um, I believe that um, energy flows where attention goes and for me putting my full attention my full concentration and my full um, appreciation into the jewelry business that was the catalyst for success and growth.
0: I I always ask this to all the other entrepreneurs did you have like a buffer Um, because you know leaving full-time jobs or part-time jobs where you get um, a fixed salary it's quite scary. So, mm-hmm. how did you go go into uh, making that tough decision to leave comfort I zone? Think,
1: and- yeah, and you're a hundred percent right because it is it's a massively scary decision. When I went full time in the business, I had I had already started transitioning for about the previous year. So, my what had been my full time job had gone to a part time job. I think I was doing maybe twenty five hours, so half time. in in that job so I had already started the transition so my full-time job became my buffer and I did that for about a year when I went full-time into the jewellery I had some savings so I had to bootstrap everything so I had some savings behind me um, and no I didn't I didn't have a secondary source of income um, at the start I I bootstrapped it I had saved money and I think I remember distinctly one day um don't get me wrong this is, this wasn't an easy decision and certainly there were financial hurdles and there are a lot of financial hurdles to overcome and I res- remember one day going to a show I was exhibiting at a particular show here in in Christchurch and I, I think I only had about I don't know $12 in the bank and I had almost an empty tank of gas and I had still hadn't bought the groceries that week and I was thinking to myself how what what am I doing? How am I going to do this? And then I thought, what am I talking about? I'm going to an event. Go to an event and sell stuff. Go and talk to people and sell stuff and make some money. And I think for me, um, it was a realization that I had the freedom to make a choice. I can make a choice whether I go out and I. I don't like the word hustle. It's about passion for me. If I'm going to express my passion for what I do and the stories that I tell, then I can expect to be reimbursed financially for that. And that decision that it's up to me, it's my choice, that was pivotal, that was absolutely pivotal. So, no, I didn't have a backup. I didn't have a backup plan. I went I went head first into this. Absolutely head first. I did have savings. I did have savings, but I went head first. That's great. Um, it's an excellent story. So, last year you
0: got invited to New York Fashion Week in February, just before COVID, and mm-hmm. you went there in person. And um, I'm sure you didn't expect that, right, when you started your business. How did that come mm-hmm. about?
1: Um, I was in New York. I had started looking at America as a marketplace for myself about 2019, I'd started Look, I have friends and family in the States, and it's a natural progression for me. Um, I had attended in February 2020, I'd attended as an as a as a guest, as, as a non-exhibitor, a trade show, a massive, massive trade show in New York City. And um, as a non-exhibiting artist, my name was put on a on a list. A talent scout happened to find me and reached out to me via email and said, um, I represent a, a, a collective of artists called Flying Solo, and we have a global competition every year to find 10 international designers to showcase at New York Fashion Week with us. Would you be interested in applying to be one of these 10 designers? And I immediately thought it was a scam. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> thought it was a scam. I was so convinced that somebody was trying to take me for a ride. So I did a bit of research and sure enough, they were they were real. Um, they were, it was totally legitimate. So I applied and... And I did not honestly think anything more of it. I put my application in. It literally took five minutes. I didn't think anything more of it until a couple of months later. And this email turns up. It was a Friday afternoon in my inbox going, congratulations, Sonia. We're so excited to welcome you into the Flying Solo family. We would love to have you showcase your work with us at New York Fashion Week. And I'm not often stuck for words, but (laughs) by crikey, I was... I had no words that day. I had absolutely no words.
0: Oh my God, congratulations. So you also got an invite this year, but you didn't go because, I
1: mean, you did it virtually.
0: And then there's something going on um, later this year in New York and Paris. What what month is yes. this?
1: So it's actually very soon. Um, and we have a bit of a difficulty because um, it's, uh, I think it's September, September, October, the, the middle of September and then the beginning of October um, for both New York and Paris Fashion Week. Um, The difficulty is um, I have to really seriously decide whether I'm going to do it virtually. I can't go in person, unfortunately, at this point. Uh, The main reason for that is, um, and rightly so, um, from a vaccination perspective here in, in New Zealand I'm um, it's uncertain whether I'll be fully vaccinated by the time that the shows actually happen um, but also our managed isolation uh, facilities are totally full until December at the moment um, as a single mum uh, that's a big ask to be away from my family for three months mm-hmm. um, it's a very big ask but interesting Another opportunity has literally popped into my inbox in the last couple of weeks, which is incredibly exciting. Is about um, London and Paris Fashion Week, actually, um, as a uh, in a virtual showroom. So I just got the email, or just a week or so ago. So I'm just in negotiations at the moment to see if that can come off as well. So that sits beautifully for me in alignment with my sustainability goals and my sustainability method, um, me- me- message um my Ethos in my business, so you know, never say never. Just because I can't turn up personally, doesn't doesn't mean that the opportunities are are not there. So you're gonna do
0: um, all three and even London um, virtually exhibit virtually. Hopefully. Yes, yes, yeah. that's the plan so at the moment. Yep. How do they buy stuff from you virtually? Like, what is how do they do it?
1: It's all done with augmented reality, actually. And so what they do is they create these amazing virtual showrooms. So for me as a designer, I make the jewellery. I make I have exquisite photography of the jewellery and then the jewellery is uploaded into these virtual showrooms. One of the beautiful things about what, um, about the world post-COVID or, or as, we, as we're navigating the COVID environment is that uh, all of these new opportunities have come about. Trade shows are not what they used to be, fashion shows are not what they used to be and interestingly it's way more sustainable. Um, there's not necessary. It's not necessary to, to go travelling around the world to have a very, very strong presence at these major events. And in fact, it's as beneficial to, to do to do them virtually. So um, the buyers register. The buyers register with the organize with the organizers to come in and see into the showrooms, and then they can browse in these showrooms virtually for whatever the set period of time is that they've paid for. And then they literally purchase from you. They decide what pieces they want. It's like a it's like a, a glorified shopping mall, I guess, if you like. But it's done in a in a much more upmarket way. And it's done under the banner of um, Fashion Week with uh with, with all of the all of the bells and whistles that go with that. Alrighty. So currently um it's your website that's
0: um selling the stuff. So how many mm-hmm. visitors do you get in a, in a month? and um the pieces a number of pieces you sell if you if you don't mind revealing, revealing and also where else can you buy your um you know your uh, jewellery.
1: Yeah. Um I'll start with the second question first. Um my jewellery is predominantly for sale on my website I do also have a number of stockists here in Aotearoa New Zealand um, I also have a couple of stockists in Manhattan in New York and I've just gotten some inquiries for Europe as well so um, that is that thats thats that has been difficult with the COVID thing happening a lot of our retailers here in Aotearoa have have really suffered because of the the lack of, um, international tourism. Um, in terms of my website, um, I actually, my analytics, I'm, I've just transitioned over to a brand new website, a, a new provider. So I haven't got all the analytics right in front of me, but I sell, I, I'm, I'm very passionate about handmade. And so I, I am very specific about keeping things, um, in small batches. So everything is made to order. Which means that the numbers that I sell are limited because it's just me making it. So I, I turn over anywhere up to two or 300 pieces a month. Amazing. Yeah.
0: So, um, what is the, um, turnover? Like, um,
1: how long do you take to hand make a piece? Depends on the piece. Some pieces I can literally make in half an hour. Um, other more complicated pieces can take a day. Um, depends on the processes that are involved. Um, and the prices reflect that as well, so uh, i'm i'm very I'm very passionate about um, talking to people, especially in the creative handmade industry, about how to price your products properly, because a lot of handmade artisans they don't necessarily pay themselves very well. they cover their costs, but they don't they don't cover the cost of themselves making it. So I try to be as as transparent as I possibly can with my pricing, um, and let people in. Um, I have a I have a VIP group on Facebook. One you talked about marketing earlier. I have a VIP group on Facebook, a private group where I take people into the showroom and so into the into the studio and so they can see what goes into making some of these pieces um and they can understand why i charge the prices that i charge for certain pieces because it can literally take me an entire day to make one piece all right so coming to that um
0: are there any plans to um expand your brand and go commercial this year because commercialization would mean Factory production. So, um, yeah. what would your plans be going forward?
1: It's a, such a that's such a great question, and it's also a very loaded question for me. Um, in all honesty, I I sit I'm sitting on the fence with that at the moment. To be really to be really honest with you. I'm not opposed to manufactured jewellery. However, I do have a very, very strong ethos behind that. And so manufacturing the jewellery has to be done in accordance with my ethos. And my ethos is very much about sustainability and it's very much about storytelling and ensuring the handmade element. So for me, one of the things I would very much like to do as part of my expansion is to be empowering and emboldening other jewellers to, to be walking alongside me on this journey. Um, I get, I get con, con, um, contacted all the time by, uh, trainee jewellers, um, young people, not even young people, people who are studying jewellery, uh, at college who would love to have an apprenticeship, who would love to have a, a internship or a traineeship. I think for myself, that is, a beautiful way of transitioning into manufacturing jewellery because it's giving back and it's sharing the knowledge that I have um, with the next generation of designers. And I would love to be able to do that so that they can help me make my designs. We can build the business together, but also it's about emboldening them to be able to go out and do it for themselves and take their own designs to the world. I, I don't see a world where we don't have enough of anything. I believe in a world where we have abundance and that there's enough for all of us and we don't have to be um, we don't have to be super protective of our of our knowledge and our skills we can share that
0: okay great and that is all the time that we have for today we have just been speaking to Sonia McManus of Sonia Therese Design thank you Sonia
1: for joining us today oh I'm so happy to be here thank you very much for having me
0: no worries the pleasure is all ours be sure to join us next week when we interview another awesome entrepreneur from across the Tasman